Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat. Welcome to Christ Church. My name is Brian Beeman. If I haven't met you, I'm the a lead pastor here and just, uh, just thankful you're here this morning. And you know, one of the things as we were singing uh, about having a pure exaltation, there is uh, so much of what we do, uh, pretty much everything we do in ministry and gathering together, coming underneath God's word is so that God would uh, purify our exaltation of him. That, that our understanding of who he is, that our worship of him would be growing as, it's un, as we're understanding more distinctly who he is. And, uh, you know, I'm so thanked, uh, thankful in the midst of this series um, just to have uh, the last two weeks, our church was blessed by the messages from Colin. And, uh, and I'm so thankful um, to be surrounded by a, a phenomenal group of, of, of preachers and teachers in our church. And, and, and amen, amen. And, uh, and I hear about it all the time, whether it's in children's or students or with other preachers in our weekend services. And uh, I love how in every context of ministry, what we're striving for is that God's word would be boldly preached. Amen? Because that's the truth and we want to come underneath it and we want to live our lives in light of that truth. And so uh, this morning, I'm going to pick up where uh, Colin left off. I don't know if you guys uh, noticed, but Colin ended at verse 32. And I know some of you, who we, when we're going through a passage, you're like, are they skipping 33? Is 33 coming next week? Well, it is. And uh, that's the entire, um, that's the whole uh, a sermon this week is on verse 33. And so uh, you can just turn your attention there as we continue this parting words, the last sermon of Jesus series. Let me just pray for us before we begin. God, thank you for um, giving us a heart's ready to come in and enter into this place and, uh, and just focus in on your word. And we want the exaltation of our lives in worshiping you to be purified. And I believe this morning, God, there is some things that you want to have exit from our lives and you want to replace it with some things that you promise in the gospel. And so God, would you teach us, would you lead us, would you unite us around these things? Would you correct us where we need correction? Would you encourage us where we need encouragement? And I pray in that, God, that you would um, show us your peace and so, God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for what happens when God's people meet on uh, your day to worship you. Thank you for being here in our midst. Through the work of your spirit, please speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We say this often, and, uh, and I think as we, as we think about um, our world today, um, the reality is, is that finding peace, the topic of today's message, is incredibly difficult in our culture, isn't it? Isn't it? Like the world is constantly and oppressively working to stir you up. It is an underlying reality of our world. It happens all the time. And as a result, anxiety runs rampant. Anxiety runs rampant in our world. It's a huge struggle to find peace. And our, so the solutions that we move towards uh, to try to help ourselves aren't really helping. Here's, here's four that sort of come to my mind. Uh, first is we try to justify anxiety. So, some people love to say, I would m maybe be in this category at different times. I have to have energy about these issues. If I'm not anxious about it, nothing's going to get done. I could find peace if everyone cared a little bit more. Some of you have thought that, right? And, uh, or or it's, it's this. It's we try to distract ourselves from our lack of peace. 
So we, so, so we binge the show, we, we, we pursue more videos on YouTube, we keep scrolling on our phone, we plan another vacation, we pursue the hobby, we work on the next project around the house, just distract, 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 distract. Or we medicate to feel peace, temporary, but maybe some sense of peace, whether it's food or alcohol or drugs or sex, anything to take the edge off, anything to feel better for just a moment. Or four, we... We just avoid the source of anxiety. We, we, we withdraw, we, we sort of dodge the hard conversation, we ignore the issues, or we just naively imagine that everything's just going to be fine without really believing what we're thinking. We justify, we distract, we medicate, we avoid. Most popular responses to anxiety, fear, or any other lack of peace right there. But God wants us to experience peace. It's throughout this entire series we've been in. A a peace that leads to rest and restoration and endurance. And there is a peace that's promised in the gospel. And maybe some of you are aware of it and it's just been difficult to find it. Some of you maybe don't even know and I want to communicate it to you with clarity. It's a peace that that God's word says surpasses all understanding. It's a a peace from God, a supernatural peace that, that God says has a character of actually guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a peace found only in Christ. And it's a peace completely and totally foreign to, to the way our world responds uh, to difficult situations. The final verse of chapter 16, the reason why I saved it for one entire message is it is a summary verse. It's, it's, it comes at the conclusion of sort of like the end of 13, 14, 15, 16, and he comes to the end and he's sort of, he's sort of coming to this point where he's like, there's some, there's some final point here that I want you to get and receive and understand and live out of. Remember John 14, 1 started this entire section of chapters with Jesus saying, do not let your heart be troubled. From that verse, Jesus highlights for the disciples the suffering and persecution that they were going to face in amidst the reality that Jesus was going to leave them. And it's in that backdrop, it's with that happening, those circumstances playing out all around them, that Jesus walks through what it means to remain in Christ, reaffirms their identity in Christ, He talks and calls them to rest in God's love, to abide in Christ, to access the work of the Holy Spirit, and like Colin said last week, to seek God in prayer. All of these to find peace in Christ. On the foundation of this teaching, he now comes to this summary statement in verse 33. Look at it with me. And this comes right before he prays. And as we conclude the series, we're going we're to study his prayer. But he says in 1633, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's the big idea this morning, church. Experience supernatural peace through faith in the work of Christ. Experience it, live it, find it to be something that you're growing in, deepening in your heart and life. Two faith moves to experience supernatural peace. One is an awareness and one is a move. First, this one, 
See the instability of the world. See the instability of the world. In the world, you will have tribulation. (laughs) That's what it says there. Um, You can underline that one and just in your margin, if you take notes in your Bible, just be like, this is an unfortunate biblical promise. We've talked about this, right? Even in this series, there's these biblical promises that you're like, yeah, can can I exchange that one? for like another promise somewhere else in the Bible? Can we eliminate that one and let's just, let's just kind of pass over that one, please? It's not. It says in the world you will face tribulation. I love the authenticity of the word. I love that it doesn't imagine a scenario that's different than what we feel and what we experience. The sense of this word tribulation, I want you to understand what it's saying. The sense of the word is this. It's an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, and economic adversity. I'm like, that kind of covers everything. The disciples were facing uh, adversity at this point. Do you remember what I was just saying? Jesus was, was, had, had told them that he's not going to be with them any longer, that he's going to leave them. They had given everything to Jesus. Left behind so many realities of their life to follow Jesus, believing that he was the son of God, still working some of the realities of that out in their mind. I agree with what Colin taught last week that I think the faith of the, of the disciples was sort of growing but still sort of young and insecure. And in the midst of this, they're facing adversity. The, the world is going to hate them. They're going to be persecuted they're going to be ostracized and from religious communities. Some would be killed for their faith in Jesus and sorrow would fill their hearts. They felt adversity. They felt the tribulation that he was talking about here. They were going to be scattered for a season, like just an oppressive reality. So, so honesty in church, like, like how, how many of you have wrestled with one of those categories, physical, mental, social, or economic adversity in the last week? Just raise your hand. Honesty in church. I can raise my hand. There's been some adversity. Been some things. If you had your hand down, you were lying. Okay? (laughs) Messing with you. Everyone faces some level of tribulation. No one escapes it. The world is unstable. But remember, church, the light always shines brightest in the darkness. And the adversity that you face, I hear you. Sometimes it feels oppressive and inescapable. And there are circumstances that some of you walk through, it seems like, stop. Just, like, no more. We, we see it, we hear it all the time in the world, but the world is chaos. And, and I don't want to default to trying to solve my anxiety and my fear of realities of tribulation in the world. There's nothing consistent in the world, nothing trustworthy, no relief and no escape. And the common default response of the heart is understandably, hear me, I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's where I want you to land or to stay, but the default reality of the heart is to, is, is to, is to worry and have fear and anxiety. So let's just, let's just be open about that. See, there's crazy instability in people's lives and And it breaks my heart to see people in our church walking through tribulation just in the last week. 
Our staff has had to walk alongside people who are dealing with physical pain and brokenness. Addiction, accidents, putting people's lives at risk. Mental struggles with with anger, anxiety, sexual sin, depression. Social adversity. Fracturing families in a world that seems to grow more and more divisive. Prodigal children walking away from the faith. Economic challenges. Tribulation. This is the state of the world. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised by by the response of people who don't know Christ to tribulation. I'm not surprised by the, by the, by the insecurity that they feel and the, and the way they respond so many times in profoundly unhealthy ways. I'm not, I'm not su- surprised by the fact that they're constantly stirring one another up and, and have so much energy about what's happening to a point where you feel like their heart's just going to go, right? Like There's just so much energy around this. But I am surprised and convicted by my own anxious response at times and the anxious response of other believers. I want you to consider that this morning as we see the instability of the world. Too often, especially in probably the last five years, um, I have seen the church fail to display, and at times I have too, failed to display sober-mindedness, and we seem surprised by the instability of the world. Believers, like, like, freaking out about every aspect of the chaos of the world that is supposed to be chaotic. Like, hey, hey, church, we've been informed. Like, God told us what it was going to be like. We should not be surprised. We get, we get consumed and panicked and we get drawn in, sucked in, social mediaed in. I think I just turned social media into a verb. We get social mediaed into this endless cycle of chaos and then we wonder why we're stressed. Consumed by all the sort of categories. Anxious about the agenda of people who don't know God and don't believe in his word, in this world you will have tribulation. And you know what, it, you know, it, it gets worse and honestly a bit embarrassing when believers then, when they look at the instability of the world, then they start to get drawn into all sorts of conspiracy theories and weird percept- perspectives about world events. We, we've, we, I promise you we can be better. Then some start making weird connections to biblical truth. It's too common in our, in our culture and it's not helping anyone. And unfortunately, sometimes I think that um, our emotions and our actions are more guided by Fox News than by the good news of the gospel. The Bible speaks to this. 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths which is a lot of what you see today. Rather, train yourself for godliness. 2 Timothy 2, 23-25, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Does anyone know that from our world today? Anyone? Anyone. Anyone give a little amen on that for the reality of how that plays out in our world, right? 
Like that's not one of those verses when you're like, yeah, that doesn't apply to today. Look at the response that's supposed to characterize the church. And the Lord's servant, that's you and me, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're not only under his lordship, but you're also his servant. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Are you getting the message? When we look out and see the instability of the world, our response has to be different. We can't respond like the world into sort of this anxious sort of energy that's helping no one find biblical peace. The other response that I see in tribulation, I've seen it throughout my entire ministry career, is that, is that then what sometimes the church does, which I don't think is healthy either, is they start to be consumed with end times. Like, I love the reality that Jesus is returning. Anybody with me? We're going to talk about that in a second. There's some certainties about that. But there are, there are groups in the church that get crazy obsessed with the end times anytime there's a season of tribulation. I could give them to you. I could walk you from 2001, starting out in ministry and seminary, till 2023, and I could give you every period of like major sort of like crazy, seemingly like increasing tribulation, economic, you know, disease, all sorts of different things. And political realities and people just like, oh, oh end times, end times. And they start to be consumed by it. I start to hear questions about end times. I could, I could send you the emails and the videos of all sorts of weird YouTube teaching. Like, where is this from? And then people ask me, are we going to study the book of Revelation? I'm like, I love the book of Revelation. There's lots of really cool things about how Jesus is returning. He's going to make all things new. I like that part. There's a lot of controversy that you're actually asking about when you're saying, let's teach about the, in the book of Revelation. Sometimes what happens is, is that as we see the instability of the world, I think we're trying to make sense of it. And so too often I see people running, flocking to the flawed theology of Bible teachers who create panic with their end times predictions. And we start reading the news like, oh, oh, is this it? Is that event that's happening? Is that going to mean that we're like almost there and should I prepare? I mean, should I, should I like go live off the grid? If he's coming back, we should be sharing Christ with everyone. Not retreating or panicking. And I just see this playing out all the time. Are we in the end times? And you, you feel the anxiety about this. And I, I see sometimes people justify it, but it, it's anxiety and they multiplies in the person and then oftentimes through them to others. And, and you can feel the sense of, of panic and the sense of helplessness around this. But in these circles, what I rarely sense is peace. I could give you a history of false predictions and a history of insane and at times sinful behaviors from the anxiety produced in the hearts of people caught up in end times fear. So let me help you. Uh, Jesus came, he died on the cross, he resurrected, he ascended to heaven. He is going to reign over all of the church interceding for his followers on their behalf until he chooses to return again. He's coming back. That's a, there's a big hearty amen after that. Jesus is coming back. Amen. There we go. Now, he told us directly, Jesus did. You can find it later. No one knows the hour or day of his return. Specific predictions 
from crazy teachers is not going to help you find peace. It's just going to stir you up. And you'll get more, they'll get more clicks and more listens, but it's not really helping you land in a gospel stability where you can find peace. I promise you. So when we see the tribulation of the world, and Jesus says this, what is the right response? I promise you it's not to start like an end-of-the-world timer and post it on a website somewhere. Okay, I, I promise you it's not to, to try to um, predict the, a year when Jesus is returning, and I promise you it does not help anyone to try to predict the identity of the Antichrist, okay? That just gets creepy. We really need to stop that. Like, when we see the instability of the world, what is the most gospel-centered, Christ-honoring move? Should we move to stir others up to a place of panic, fear, or misplaced urgency. No. Please no. I'm begging you. Please no. Let the instability of this world, the way you see it in your family, the way you see it in your workplace, the way you see it playing out in our schools, let it drive you to prayer. Let it drive you to intimacy with God. Let it drive you to a love and an affection and a passion for what we know to be absolutely certain in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it bring you to your knees in desperation. When you see the instability of the world, ask God to deepen your awareness and your knowledge and your confidence in the good news of the gospel. I've said it in previous messages, I'm going to say it again. I think we have grown bored in the church of the gospel. And we wonder why we don't have peace. Our focus can't be on what's happening in the world, that what's happening in the world should lead us to a dependence on God. And and, and not not trying to figure out what's coming in the specifics of the end times, but, but what God has already done, what God is certainly doing and has promised, and what he has promised you for your future. In prayer, begin to anchor your life there. Dig deeper into into the story of redemption and the goodness of the gospel. Unpack it more and more in your life. Become enamored and focused on the stabilizing truths of the gospel. Not the headlines that just wreck our peace. Seek God in prayer. Ask God to teach you to respond compassionately and lovingly to those caught up in the chaos outside the church and inside the church. And lovingly and with peace, be ready to to serve the needs of others walking through tribulation, certainly. See the instability of the world, but don't get drawn into the drama of the world. Two very different things. Let the drama of the instability cause you to pursue stability before the throne of God in prayer. And then, seeing the instability of the world and, and letting it lead us to a place of, of humility and drawing near to God. And I mean, because, guys, that's exactly what Jesus is about to do. Jesus just got to this point, said tribulation, and in the next chapter of chapter 17, he turns to prayer. And that's what we're going to study over the next few weeks. But this is the second point for us this morning because he doesn't just stop within the world you will have tribulation. Point two, live in Christ to experience supernatural peace. So where can you find peace 
while enduring tribulation. Look at the verse. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. It's in the work of Christ. That's way better than oppressive and inescapable anxiety and fear. Right, church? Like, like, like we want to exchange. We, we want to press so deeply into the gospel that we're like, Jesus, listen, you just, you just shared this with us and I want this for my life. And I understand that my own story is one of, of stops and starts and falling down and getting back up. But I will not stop experiencing, finding peace, wrestling with tribulation, struggling again with anxiety, getting myself back up and go, by faith, I'm going to continue to take hold of the peace that Jesus is talking about here. That's so much better than what the world offers. Notice the source of peace from the verse. Jesus says, in me you may have peace. It's an opportunity. It's not guaranteed. Then he says, in the world you will have tribulation. But then he gives us the, the call, the imperative, the command, if you want to access his supernatural peace. He says, take heart. Take heart. Take hold of, by faith, the reality that Jesus has, as he says there, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Root your peace in the victory that Jesus accomplished through his work. This is proclaimed here and throughout Scripture. And listen, listen, listen. There's something that any time in our world today that there's victory in and around something that, that we love or care about, whether it's a team or an individual achieves victory, there's something in us that just is like, amen. That's awesome. In sports, it's cheering. When things happen spiritually in the spiritual world, I think there's an aspect of amen, like so be it. I want it for my life. And so I'm going to read you some verses proclaiming um, a Christ victory. And it, when I, after I get done with those, I'm really, I know, this is audience participation, okay? And not because I told you, but I would hope that your response would be because as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you hear these truths, that you would just be like, amen, so be it. Not just that it's a reality, but that, that it would be a reality in my life, right? Okay, so here we go. First one, short, and give you a chance to respond rightly. Romans 8, 37, Paul says we are more than conquerors. Okay, some of you hesitate. You're like, is he going to say some more in that verse? More than conquerors? Like, that's what we're called in Christ? I, was, I wrote down, how is that even possible? How can you be more than a conqueror? If you've conquered, you conquered, didn't you? But there's some reality in the heavenlies that says, man, you are more than conquerors. If your faith is in Christ, okay, here's the next one. Another try. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. (laughs) The enemy's got nothing in light of what what Jesus has accomplished. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen. <laughs> Love it. How has Jesus overcome the world? What is he saying here? What is being declared in these verses? 
I, I want you to see the full picture here of redemption. Because when, when we're referring to, when Jesus is referring to, I have overcome the world, he's not just talking about just simply his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus' is, is very nature is eternal God, and, and the overcoming work of Christ refers to the work of God to redeem his people. It started in Genesis, and it's going to finish in Revelation with some really good news. And so I found this really helpful summary in, in a book that I would recommend. It's called Visual Theology. And uh, in this book, they talk about the work of Christ, and they summarize it in four acts, four different acts, acts like you would see in a play or a musical. And, and in this, they say there's four different moves that you see in redemptive history. The first one is this. And these are moves that still have implication for today. The first one's creation. Think about this. I mean, God is the creator. Man was made in his image with, with, with dignity and a goodness to the way that you've been created, even if flawed and messed up and incomplete and struggling at times. Man was made for perfect fellowship with God and with one another. And everything was good. Creation was a place where um, God had uh, his creation, men and women created in his image, perfectly in fellowship with God and with one another. And it was good in all of redemptive history is, is God trying to get us back to, redeem us, uh, uh, change us, transform us, to bring us back to this perfection of Eden because, number two, the fall happened. Men fell into sin. Man was banished from God's presence. Man's relationship from God was severed because of that sin. And, and now men... Humans and the earth are now living under a curse because of that sin, because of that reality of what happened. So then into the drama of redemption, we have redemption. God sent Jesus as our representative because he loved us. He sent him into the world to, to represent us, represent sin, and the brokenness of that. So as a result, Jesus had to live a perfect life. So he did. He, he lived in our world with all the temptations and all the fallenness, but never once sinned or failed in any way so that he could be the perfect offering. So as a perfect offering, he died, and then the victory of God declared as he rose from the dead. And we are redeemed or transformed when our faith takes hold of Christ and we take hold of his birth and his death and his resurrection. And, and all of that leads to what Paul talks about when he talks about a resurrection life. And then we live under the promises uh, seen in glimpses now but perfectly in eternity of the fourth act, new creation. And this is just where it gets awesome as we think about the future. Jesus will return and reign forever. You don't need any of your timing. You just need that. That's it. Promise you. God will banish sin forever. That's going to be a really good moment. A man will be in perfect fellowship with God forever and life and relationships will be as God intended forever. And that, that the, the work of redemption, of creation and the fall and redemption and new creation, that is the work of redemption. It shows you the overcoming work of Christ. 
Believing this is way more compelling than, than, than living in the world confused about why bad things happen in any way, shape, or form and sitting there under the, the oppressive and inescapable anxiety that results from that. And Jesus tells you what to do with the victory of Christ. He says, take heart. Take heart. And so, so as, you, as you came in this morning, you, you, you got a heart. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand. Our ushers are going to come get you because you're going to need it. You're going to need it for something we're going to do before the end of the service. We have a few people up here. Just raise your hand up high. Keep it up as I continue to talk about this. So, so and I want you to realize is, those of you who have it, I, I just want you to recognize that, that God has given you the opportunity this picture of a heart on a piece of paper is a, is a picture of what um, God has called you to do with your heart. I, I love the, the sort of object lesson of this. Like, like God has in, in, enabled you to take hold of, here Doug, I need one. I forgot mine from last service. Honest confession. I didn't want to be without a heart, okay? That would have been bad. And so, and so listen, God's given us the opportunity to take our heart. I want you to recognize this. I want you to see the opportunity that you have. God doesn't give you your heart like, like passively, like it just, it just whatever, wherever the world takes it, that's where my heart's gonna go. And, and the Bible says that apart from faith in Christ that your heart is, is wicked and, and, and deceptive and, it, and, and it's really hard to get control of it. And so there's some aspect that some of you, your heart tends to wander in all sorts of different ways. But you need to take your heart if you want to find supernatural peace, you got to take it. And, and when Jesus says here, take heart, I have overcome the world, what he's saying is he's saying if Jesus really is your Savior and Lord, if you believe, if you've, if you've put your heart underneath the work of Christ by faith, hear him and respond. Move your heart to Christ with confidence and assurance. And listen, this is not a passive move. This doesn't happen sort of magically. This is a faith move. And it's not a one-time move. If you want to experience supernatural peace regularly in your life, trust me, you're going to have to take that heart and sometimes you feel like you're pulling it away from the world, away from focus on all of the circumstances and the tribulation, and you're literally wrestling your heart to a place where you're like, I am going to stay rooted in the work of Christ. I am going to stay focused on what Christ has accomplished for me. And it's not a one-time move, it's a move over time. And just when you think you've got it settled, something happens, you're like, Woof, and you're like pull it back to be rooted in the work of Christ. It's a consistent declaration of confident faith in the victory of Jesus. Where are you going to take your heart? Because here's what I know. Where your heart goes, the rest of your life follows. Some of you love to come into church and in sort of environments like this, and you love to act like your life is okay, but your heart is like way over here. It's pursuing the world. Sometimes it's so far off, but you represent like it's all good. But I promise you that where your heart is, your life is actually following. And eventually what will happen is the veil will be shown, the curtain will come up, and everyone will know by the work of your life and the fruit of your life over time where your heart has been at. And so recognize now and hear the call where your heart goes the rest of your life follows. In this world, you will find tribulation. It's going to be a struggle. There's no supernatural peace apart, available to you apart from placing your heart in the overcoming victory of Christ. 
secure your faith here. Root, root your life down into the stability. Put your faith in the work of Christ. Like that foundation, church, that will hold. Experience strength in his faithfulness. Experience the joy of his love. Experience the stability of standing in his grace. Experience the security of all the future promises of God. Day by day, declare faith in the victory of Jesus. So what does it look like, you might ask? Give me an example of what it looks like to take heart in Christ, in the victory of Christ, in the face of tribulation. I heard a testimony from someone in our church this week that I want to share with you. Last week, uh, Rhonda Gallup, who's um, on our staff, works at the front. She sort of keeps the office organized. We love Rhonda. Last week, Rhonda um, had to take her 15-year-old son, Gage, um, to the hospital, and uh, Gage, was, um, Gage was adopted by the Gallup family at birth. Um, Gage has a, a missing chromosome and uh, has been impacted by a fetal alcohol syndrome. The impact of these realities has caused um, Gage to suffer from regular grand mal seizures kind of throughout his life. The recent seizures led him to, um, this past week, to a stay in the hospital um, where they uh, hooked him up to a bunch of wires to monitor Gage's brain uh, to attempt to observe one of those seizures because they're getting worse. Think about that. Think about that as a, as a parent going to the hospital Think about that as a per the person struggling with that, like going to the hospital hoping he would, that you would have a seizure so that they could monitor it and try to understand what's happening. Being hooked up to lots of wires, trying to sleep in a, an unfamiliar place, hoping to have a seizure. Watching the process just was, as I talked to Rhonda this week, was just kind of wrecking her heart, understandably so. Normally, as Rhonda was telling me, you can outgrow childhood epilepsy by the time you're 15 or 16, but, but Gage because of, might not outgrow it because of the missing chromosome and the fetal alcohol syndrome. There's a possibility that the damage can't be fixed. And One of the mornings in the hospital, Rhonda was telling me that she was, honestly, with transparency, she was just wrestling through um, just, just anger at the reality of the tribulation. And in the midst of that, she started to have a conversation with Gage and she said, she started to ask him a series of questions like, are you angry? Do you, do you struggle with the reality of having to take the medication you have to take or the reality of having to endure the seizures or anger at your birth mom or the challenges that you've had to overcome? Are you, have you at times even been angry with God? Asking good questions wrestling with anger herself and Gage looked at her with a confused look on his face clearly wondering why she was asking the question at all and he simply looked at her and he said why would I this is my story God gave me later Gage would write this to his family in a text Hey, everyone, I just wanted to let you know that I'm doing well. Whatever happens at the hospital, God has been a big part of my life and has been with me for 10 years now. And he has not failed to do miracles in people's life. 
And for all I know, I could be the next, next miracle God does. All I have to remember is that wherever you go and wherever you've been, God is with you as a family and I'm happy to be a part of all your lives and I'm happy to be a part of the Gallup family. And trust me when I say, having between 30 to 50 wires is very annoying and the rap is very, very itchy. Love you all. Then on the way home, feeling incredibly tired, Gage asked his mom if he could play some music and he hooked his music up and began to play worship music and Rhonda said the whole entire way home, he just worshiped Jesus. That is how you take your heart to the victorious work of Jesus. That is how you live in the victory of God. That is how you find supernatural peace. I'm thankful for Gage and I'm thankful for the fact that God has used his faith to bring this verse to life and to challenge my faith and I'm certain yours also. See the instability of the world. Live in Christ to experience supernatural peace. Experience supernatural peace through faith in the work of Christ. Only the gospel can achieve that. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to follow Gage's example as we turn to the communion table. Communion was given to us to be a rhythm for the church to remember the victorious, overcoming work of Christ. Communion is a remembrance to, to call you to put your faith in the work of Christ on the cross so that you too can express through faith your commitment to the work of Christ, your confidence in what Jesus has done and through that supernatural peace in the middle of tribulation. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's time for you to take your heart to the work of Christ and ask God to give you peace in him alone. Communion is for the followers of Jesus Christ only. If you're not a follower of Christ, take time to think about the good news of the gospel and I would encourage you to put your faith in Christ. So during this time of communion, here's what I want you to do with your heart. Maybe there's something that's on your heart and you just need to begin to pray to God. And some of you, I want you to write it down. Write on your heart the tribulation, the struggle, the adversity that you're facing. It could be anything. It could be physical or mental or social or economic. And I want you to write it down. In a few moments as the band plays this next song, yeah, I want you to get up. Communion's going to be a little different this morning. I want you to get up and I want you to take your heart to the communion table. And I want you to do physically what's happening spiritually when you take your heart and I want you to lay down your heart with all the tribulation that your heart is facing and I want you to take it and I want you to lay it before the realities of the work of Christ represented in communion and I want you to lay that down and I want in exchange for that weight, I want you to take up the work of Christ. The two cups stacked on one another, the, the bread that represents Christ's body given for you, the blood, his, his blood poured out for you in the juice. And I want you just to take communion on your own this morning when you're ready after you, after you make that exchange. That's the exchange that happens. When we take our hearts and we declare over the tribulation, Jesus has overcome the world. He, he began to fulfill the reality of that in his death and resurrection.
And I am going to declare that over my tribulation. And I'm asking God, would you bring me peace? So take your heart, write down the tribulation you're facing, and move to one of the communion tables as this song begins in just a few moments. Lay your heart on the table and take up the communion elements and declare your faith in Christ. Trust Christ with your life and with your story. He's over all of it. Take heart in communion now as the band sings this song over us. Let's do it now. God, I just, I just thank you. I thank you for the, for the truth and the reality of the gospel that I see again and again in my own life and in the life of other saints that it just, it holds. God, our flesh is so, um, is so broken by the weight of sin and so easily led astray to find confidence in other things. God, would you help us? Would you, would you serve us in these moments to just to remember that there's, there's no solid foundation, there's no peace from the chaos in the world. Thank you for the examples that echo throughout this, the generations. Thank you for the examples in our church. Thank you for many, God, who are wanting to lead and step into leading and showcasing and teaching and training this next generation to find their hope, to find their peace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for the, for the, for the work of, that you've accomplished. Thank you that, it's, that there's so many things that we can imagine or wonder about, even in the context of your truth. But, God, there are realities that are fixed and certain, fixed that we have been created in your image, fixed that your love was set upon us, fixed that you came as the perfect sacrifice, Fix that you died on that cross and fix that you rose from that grave and certain that you will return again. God, what, what strength does tribulation have in light of that? Let us as the people of God take hold of that. Let it, let it bring stability and, and cause us to stand firm in the grace of knowing that gospel. And I pray, God, that that peace, not the anxiety and the chaos of the world, that peace would, would spread through our people before you and then in relationship with others. I pray, God, as the world goes crazier and more, more insane and, and chaotic, that the people of God at Christ Church, God, would grow more sober-minded and peaceful and loving and ready to walk forward in what you've called them to in this life. And so God, I'm asking that you would do that. I need you to do that. You're the only one that can achieve that. And so I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond as we sing to, as we sing of the one who is fixed, the one who is immovable, who will never change. Christ, our firm foundation. Let's sing this out. Christ is my firm foundation. He 
everything around. 